Well, I don't know how many of you were involved last night in a homecoming festivity of some sort, or maybe it was the week before, or maybe it's the week ahead. You've got a neighbor, you've got a kid, or you are a student here that was involved in the homecoming, or your school, or some sort, but uh, if you ever stop and just look at those homecoming festivities, they are to be a very enjoyable time for the students, aren't they? Uh, They dress up, they decorate, they have class competition, there's a royal court, there's meals, there's a dance, it just seems so incredible and everybody gets so excited about it. And it's supposed to be a time, too, when you haven't seen people in a while, you get to see them again. For for us adults, maybe you're going back to homecoming because of a class reunion or you got invited back for some reason, so it's like, oh, I haven't seen them forever, and it's good to see them. And some of you are like, I don't know if I want to see them. I don't want them to see me. Um, there's always a little bit of nervousness going on there. Uh, but you're going back to that place where you grew up. It's, it's home. It's homecoming, right? A place that's supposed to be safe and special, right? Supposed to be. That's home. Um, but this morning, I want to share with you something that's even more incredible. For you as a Christian, there's going to be a true homecoming for you. If you are sitting here this morning, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have confessed to a holy God, and you've placed your trust in him, you are a believer in Christ, you call yourself a Christian because you know it's true from what God's word says, you're going to have a special homecoming too. We are going to have a special homecoming to a time in which we will see a place that's been created especially for us, prepared and planned long ago. There will be a royal court. We're just not going to vote on who's going to get the crown. He's already going to have it. There'll be a parade. It won't be the ones where we're getting the attention. There will be a feast and we'll all join in. Home coming of a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be incredible. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We, we know that the Bible not only foretold the coming of Jesus to earth, we also know that the Bible talked about his second coming and future events surrounding his return. We mentioned terms last week, such as rapture, Millennium reign, tribulation, judgment, new heaven, new earth. And those are all things that are part of the discussion. And we talked about last week just a couple of those things. I used a diagram, and I'm going to put this up. It looks different. Last week I used a slide with just the words. I put this diagram up because this is where I got it from. This is uh, from Chip Ingram. He's a pastor and teacher. I believe he probably brought it from Randy Alcorn, who wrote the book Heaven. And a lot of theologians, a lot of pastors will look at a timeline like this and say, yes, future events, this is what's going to happen. Um, This is sort of uh, categorized differently according to Scripture. Um, And there's some things that are not listed in there. And this is what I told you last week. Everybody believes this to be true. God's Word says these events are going to happen. Now the timing of them is where there's often some debate with different people. But we focused on two things last week, the rapture and the judgment for believers. And the Apostle Paul used very simple and plain language uh, in describing the events of the rapture. And he leaves no doubt regarding the certainty of the event. Like I said, though, the timing of the event is what is often debated. But at the rapture, every Christian that is on this earth at the time of the rapture is snatched up or transported and taken to heaven. 
And Paul says that just prior to the rapture's belief, uh, uh, the belief, I'm sorry, the rapture of the believers, those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Their spirits have already gone to be with the Lord in heaven. But now at the rapture, the bodies of those will be resurrected and they'll be given a glorified body. And those who are still alive will be caught up in the air and will be raptured and we will be given glorified bodies as well as we're taken into heaven. After the rapture, which I mentioned last week, was a seven-year period taking place called the tribulation. We read about those events in Revelation 6 to 20. Meanwhile, in heaven, there's a few other things taking place. The judgment seat of Christ and something we just sort of sang about. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. I'll tell you, there's going to be a great party in heaven. A union of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. We sang that song, Beautiful. And I'm telling you something. For the men in this room, you might understand this with me, okay? When you sing that song, sometimes it's hard for you to sit there and tell Jesus he's beautiful. Honestly. You know, some of those guys like, man, I, I, some of the wives out here are like, I have a hard time him telling me I'm beautiful. He's going to say that to Jesus, you know, and, and, and so it's hard sometimes for us men to wrap our arms around saying, Jesus, you're beautiful. But as I was singing that this morning during the first service, it was like God was saying, Rex, we're talking about this today at the very beginning of the service. We're talking about the marriage supper lamb. We're talking about the bride and the groom coming together. And, and, and it's like God gave me this picture of when I was standing at the church and, and Jenny came through the back and I saw my bride for the first time in her wedding dress. And you can't help but say, she's beautiful. And for every man that's ever stood at the front and waited for his bride to walk down, the first word, the first out of your mind is probably, she's beautiful. And my guess is, and I can't speak for the ladies in here, but when you came and you saw your husband-to-be standing at the front, you probably didn't use the word beautiful. Maybe you used the word handsome. But that's an exchange that was probably taking place. As a pastor, I've been down in front a lot of times as I'm standing down here with the groom and we're waiting for the bride and I've got my folder and, and everybody, they stand and they look at the bride and this is, that's the moment when us as pastors are like, okay, everything good, okay. I can't do that anymore. You know why? Because now everybody always stops and looks back at the groom. They want to see his expression when she walks in because usually, uh, I'm telling you, there's a, usually there's a tear, there's a wow, Right? Because the groom is looking at his bride and saying, beautiful. And the bride is looking at the groom saying, beautiful, but maybe in a more manly term, right? When we sing that song, I've got a whole new look. After this, this morning, the first service, when we sang that song, it was like, God was saying, Rex, think about this. I created beauty. The most beautiful thing that I've ever seen, God made. And if God made that beautiful, what does God look like? Incredibly beautiful. So as you sing that song, if you ever sing that song again, just let that sink in. And then let this next scripture sink in as well. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 19 if you're not there yet. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Revelation 19. We'll start reading in verse 6. It says this, Then I heard, again, what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder, is like John's trying to wrap his mind around what he's hearing here. And he says, praise the Lord, which is hallelujah, 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride is prepared for herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words from God. And it's going to be a wedding like we've never seen before, church. That's what we're reading here. This wedding, you think you've seen some incredible weddings? Oh, this, the decor in there, the food, will just blow every other wedding away that you've ever been to. They'll be like child's play compared to this wedding. And it's us with Christ. It's the wedding feast. And while this is taking place, what's incredible, on earth there's something horrible taking place. It's a tribulation. But because of the focus of the sermon today, I'm not going to spend time focusing on the tribulation or the millennium. We're going to focus, we're not going to focus on the second coming of Christ, which is all about justice and judgment. We, we love celebrating the first coming of Christ. We have a holiday, Christmas, right? The first coming of Jesus Christ as a baby. We love celebrating that. Now, we don't have a holiday for a second coming, do we? Justice and judgment of God. Can't wait for that holiday. We don't have that one. It's probably a good thing. But his second coming is yet to come. It's going to be triumphant. It's going to be justice. And I will say this before we switch gears and get into into the new heaven and new earth. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. And he is a loving God. It's a hard mix, but it's truth. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. And you might want to put something in Revelation. We're going to come back to Revelation. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 3 to 9. I want to read this section to you because, again, Peter now, who walked with Jesus, is writing something pretty incredible because he, he must have had these conversations with Jesus about the new heaven and new earth and what's going to happen down the road. And he, he writes this, verse 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. Verse 5. They deliberately forgot that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command and that he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. And then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment, when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. See, these people were living as if nothing's ever going to happen. Well, Jesus isn't coming back, so let's live whatever way we want to live. It doesn't matter. Jesus ain't coming back, right? There's no judgment. Jesus is not going to come back to judge. Peter says, you're wrong. Jesus is coming back. His delay... It's not a sign that he's not coming. His delay is a message of God's patience and love. He's given people time to repent. 
there's more to take place here as, as, as you read the millennium, the thousand year reign of Jesus on earth as judge and king. But there's going to be a time when Satan, his demons, and those who have rejected God will stand before the great white throne judgment as described in Revelation 20. Now, we won't spend time on those events, but we're going to wrap up this series with a look at the Christian's homecoming, a new heaven and a new earth. But I want to make sure we understand that God is a a righteous and holy God, but he's also a loving God. As our existence is completed on earth, we now see a, a new heaven and a new earth take place, according to Scripture. Heaven is our ultimate home. You talk about homecoming, I'm coming home, right? Heaven is our ultimate home. It's where we belong. It's where we're loved. Think about what home is. It's where you can be yourself, right? Comfortable. It feels right. It feels good. It's warm. It's secure. At least that's what it should be, right? Well, heaven is that, and it's ultimately more than that. God's been preparing it for us for all eternity. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? We've never seen it, nor has anybody else. I don't know what it's going to be like. But I do know this, that the one who has given it to me is incredible. The creator of all things. Have you ever thought about what God's created? The movement of your hands, how your body functions? If you've been to the doctor enough times and he explains how things keep working in your body, you probably have to walk away. And I know sometimes you walk away frustrated, but you have to walk away amazed to say, how does that human body function in such an incredible way? With just a thought in my mind, my hand moves. How does that happen? Go beyond the, the human body and look around. Maybe you won't look outside and see these pictures, but look around sometime at what God has created. Whether it's the, the trees or whether it's the flowers, whether it's towering mountains or the waterfalls. Or it's a breathtaking view of the the Grand Canyon. The colors galore. I think I grew up with a Crayola box that had 16 colors in it, really. I I mean, it was just simple colors, right? And then then I got married and found out there's more than 16 colors. You go to pick out a couch, and it's like, you like this one? Yeah, that brown one looks, looks good. Brown? Brown? As my wife says, and looks at the lady at the furniture store, brown. (laughs) They didn't do that, but I felt like (laughs) I'm so in trouble. Anyway, they looked at each other and they said, I don't know. They didn't do this, but I think in unison, they looked at me and like, it's raisin. They said, it's raisin. I said, it looks brown and purple to me, but it's raisin. You see, women have, I think you have a Crayola box, about 2,000 colors or something. I don't know, okay? Everything is a different color, and it's beautiful. Us guys are a little more simple, right? Let me tell you what kind of box of crayons that God has. It's unlimited. It's unlimited, the colors that God has. And here's the thing. Because God is good, because God is trustworthy, I can trust the gifts that he's given me. Think about that. You know there's that certain person in your life, you know if they're going to give you a gift, you know it's going to be good, right? Some of the kids in here, you know grandma and grandpa are going to spoil you with something. You know, oh, and you also know which aunt or uncle is going to give you the really weird gift too. But you know who's going to give you that really good gift, right? 
That's like God. You know he is good. You know he's trustworthy. So when he says, I've got a new heaven, new earth for you, guess what? It's going to be good. Real good. We can't answer with certainty all the questions that people have about heaven. And a lot of you had some lot of great questions. We don't know what exactly we're going to look like. We don't know whether, you know, what kind of animals or are we going to have our, is our pets going to be in heaven. We don't know that for sure. We don't know what our, our room or our house is exactly going to look like. We don't know. We can speculate. We can have opinions based on things maybe we've read. But the only authoritative source that we have is God's word. So we go to God's word and we say, what do we know for sure? So let me go to another scripture. Something, and we mentioned this last week about our glorified bodies. When we go to heaven, we're given a glorified body, a new body, right? We talked about that last week. But I want to say, I want to come back to this on something. First John chapter 3, and I want to read this to you. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. That's what we are. Do you hear that? We're his children. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. In other words, they are not God's children. Verse 2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he's not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. Listen carefully. But we do know that we will be like him, Jesus Christ, for we will see him as he really is. Two things I want you to hear from that scripture. First of all, who are the children of God? Those who believe. I I want to point that out. It's not going along with the whole resurrected body, but I want to stop and make sure you hear this because too many times I've seen on social media and other people say, hey, we're all children of God. We're all children of God. That's not true. We are not all children of God. Scripture makes it very clear, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To the believers, we are children of God. To those who do not believe, they are not children of God. So I want to clarify that. Here's the second thing I want you to see out of this verse. We aren't sure what our resurrected bodies will look like, our glorified bodies will look like, but we will be like him. We'll be like him. Let me give you another scripture to turn to. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 41 to 49. Let me read from that. It says this. This is Paul. Paul says, There are also bodies in heaven and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different than the glory on the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars each have another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. We all have seen that. We've been to the cemetery, right? But they'll be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Look at the verse 45. Verse 45 says this. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living being. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, and then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Heavenly people are like the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Paul's saying we were created of flesh and blood, right? Created from dust like Adam. But someday we will be like the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. He's making one simple point here. 
Adam has an earthly body, Jesus has a glorified body. And when we're resurrected and we're caught up with Jesus, we will be given a glorified body in exchange for our earthly body. And what will that body be like? We don't know. But we can maybe again get hints from Scripture, like Luke chapter 24, when Jesus, after he had been resurrected from the dead, his disciples were in the upper room, locked in a room, hiding, and he appeared, he came through the wall, came on in, right? So with that resurrected body, he was able to like transport himself into there. But then with that resurrected body, he also said, go ahead, touch my hands, touch my feet. Let's eat something together. And he did. Our bodies will be glorified when we get to heaven. Just as, well, it's not just our bodies, but this earth will be restored as well. Isaiah prophesied 700 years. Think about this, 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. Isaiah, over here, writes this according to what God told him to write. And this is what he said in Isaiah 65, 17. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. When we get our glorified bodies and we have a new earth, we're not even going to go back saying, hey, do you remember when I... No, we're not even thinking about that anymore. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. We'll spend the rest of this morning uh, looking at Revelation 21 and 22. In Revelation 21, John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. I love this. As you're reading this in this first verse, John's starting to describe what he's seeing. New heaven, new earth, right? And he's seeing the city descend, coming on down. And he stops and he says, and the sea was also gone, which seems like sort of odd, doesn't it? Old earth disappeared and, oh, the sea's gone. And then I saw the holy city. It's like, whoa, the sea's gone. What does that mean? Now, different uh, theologians and, and writers have often believed that this is why this was put in there. Because John was really depicting things that were scary, things that are fearful, are now gone. Because if you go back to ancient times, the sea was a deadly thing. The sailors didn't even like to get in their boats to sail. It was scary. It meant death at times. The storms that would come up on the sea, the uncharted territory, it was something to be feared. So as John was writing this, many believe that when he wrote this, he was saying, and those things that scare you, the things that you are most fearful of, gone. We read on, we see this, this in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to experience a new relationship with God. You know, Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? Guess what? John is now saying, no, no, no. Now we're going to walk by sight. It's no more walking by faith. Because lo and behold, here we are in the presence of God. We walk by sight now. We'll have and see an experience of a face-to-face with Jesus Christ. God himself will be with us. See, today we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Until that day when we ascend and we have these new glorified bodies and we get into heaven... 
Until then, God gave us his spirit here on earth. God's Holy Spirit helps us. He gives us insight when we read in God's word. He helps us to know what to pray for. He leads us away from temptation. He helps us fight temptation. He helps us in making decisions. He convicts us when we mess up. He gives us peace. He gives us hope. The Holy Spirit is at work in the Christian today. But when we get to heaven, we have God right there. It'll be God himself. In heaven, it won't be, I wonder what God wants me to do. Oh, God, what do you want me to do? He'll be with you. He'll speak to you in an audible voice. There is no, no more distance, like, where's God? You won't be saying that anymore. You'll say, here's God. No disconnect, no barriers. All those questions you have, the things we don't understand, we will now understand. Ezekiel 37, 27, the prophet said this. I'll put my temple among them forever. I will make my home among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Even the prophets longed for this moment and they wrote about it. And it happens. There'll be a new relationship with our past as well. Oh, our regrets, those bad memories, our shame, all those things like, oh, I wish I could erase that. They are in heaven. No more. No more. The consequences of our sin, the evil of sin, the things that haunt us, although we know we're forgiven, they're gone. They're gone. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Gone forever. The tears of pain, the, the tears of hurt, the tears of disappointment, the tears of death. Can you imagine a place and time without sin? No more abuse, no regrets, no betrayal, no divorce, no failure, no disappointment, no bullying, no, no rejection, no more greed, no more murder, no more addictions, no more dishonesty, no more lying, no more corruption, no more prejudice, no more racism. No more poverty, no more injustice, no more slavery. No more negligence or fear or shame. No more resisting temptation. No more. Which means no more courts, no more prisons, no more policemen, no more lawyers. Those things are all gone. They're, they're removed. No more. What an incredible thing to look forward to, right? He'll wipe away every tear. But it isn't just about what's going to be gone. It's about what's going to be there. Look at verse 5. And the one sitting on the throne said, and I love this, the one sitting on the throne, now we hear God himself speak. And God says, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, I love this, John was like, John must have been in awe. It's like God's talking to him. It's like, the one on the throne, God's now talking. And God's like, write these things down, John. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Because what he's going to say is trustworthy and true. And he said this, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God. They will be my children. But cowards, and by the way, with cowards here, cowards are those who claim to be Christians, but they didn't live as Christians. They were cowards. That's what this word is describing. Those who are faking being a Christian. Cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, Idol worshipers and all liars. Their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. 
For the first time, God speaks in heaven and he says with all authority to all the created things. He takes us back to Genesis and says, I'm going to make things new. This isn't just a restoring process. This is new. The words that he uses, brand new. New heaven, new earth. And he makes this incredible claim as he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. The first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And basically saying, I am here and there and everything in between. I am the authority. I am God. And then the next breath, God says, and to those of you who are thirsty, to those of you who are thirsty, I give freely. What an amazing thing. This all authoritative God yet bends to us and says, I can take care of your thirst. The justice, the authority, and the love of God come together. But what is he talking about this thirst that we have? Is it just a physical thirst? Like, I could use a drink of water, right? It's more than that. I think we all thirst for significance, for love, for acceptance, current earth that we live in arouses our desires for pleasure, doesn't it? Whatever it is we think we need, we want more of it, but it's never satisfying, is it? When we were young, I was thinking about this with all the junior high and the high school students, you know, we think we find that right person and we will find pleasure with that person and we will be complete. And adults, what do we find out? I know right now you want to say yes, they'll complete with me because you don't want to get an elbow in the rib, but honestly, no. People don't complete us. The right car, as soon as I get the right car, I will, I will be set until what? Until your right car starts to break down and you need a new car. Or my phone, oh, I love my phone. Oh, there's an upgrade? Oh, I want a new phone. We're never satisfied, are we? I really think life is like breakfast. You long for it, you take pleasure in it, but you can't wait for lunch. Our thirst and our desires are never going to be complete on this earth. Revelation 21 says that the coming of the new heaven and the new earth and the presence of God wipes away our thirst. We will be satisfied at last. Complete satisfaction. No more upgrades. And the new heaven and the new earth isn't just about the beauty of heaven. It's about the beauty of the relationship with us and God. Because I will be there and I will dwell with you. John continues to give a description. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 in Revelation 21 says this. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me. I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God like, and sparkled like a precious stone. Like jasper, as clear as crystal, the city wall was broad and high. Twelve gates guarded by twelve angels. The names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. Three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundational stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick, to measure the gate, the city and its gates and its wall. And when he measured it, he found it to be a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length, width, and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard. 
The wall was made of jasper. The city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on a foundation with stones and laid, 12 precious stones. And as he's describing this, we stop and think, can we even wrap our mind around it? It's breathtaking. Now, I know it said 1,400 miles, but again, as we study this and go back into the, to, to the Scripture and look in the Greek, and then we look at some of the theologians, they said, well, 1,400 miles, yes, that's, that's pretty close, but it's more like 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles wide and long and tall. It's the same distance, basically, from Maine to Florida. That's how big this city is. The New Jerusalem is basically 2,250,000 square miles. Hard to wrap your mind around that, isn't it? Let me help you with this. New York City, 469 square miles. 469 square miles, New York City. 2,250,000 miles, the new city. Get an idea how big this place is? The square footage would be about the approximate size of the moon. That's an impressive city, isn't it? Beyond our imagination. 1,500 miles high to the top of the city. Chip Ingram said in his book, after a little calculation, an elevator that would go from the bottom of the city to the top of the city would have to be 740,000 floors. (laughs) Wow. The New Jerusalem's length, height, and width are equal. Its dimensions are like a cube, which it's reminiscent of the holy place of the tabernacle, which means this city is a holy place. Henry Morris said this, Guessing that there have been 100 billion people in the human race through history, and that 20% of them will be saved, calculated that each person would have a a block with about 75 acres on each face to call their own. This is highly speculative, but it illustrates the point that there's going to be plenty of room in this city for you and me. Isn't that amazing? Consider the size of the city. Consider all the people from the generations throughout the eras of history. We will hear the great stories of the people from the Bible. And it isn't like, I'm going to read their stories in the Bible. I'm going to talk to them about it. Moses, what was it like when you walked between those walls of the water? And you, it was dry, and then it came down. What was that like? Jonah, when you're inside the well? Come on, man. What, did it, what was it like? Sticky, smelly, what? And, and, and did you know? Did you know that on that third day, or, or did you have a feeling that all of a sudden you just got shook around? All of a sudden you just went. Were you projected how far when you came out of that mouth of that well? And, and did you land in water or on the, on the sand? I'm, I'm, cartoons always show you hitting the sand. I'm, uh, what was it? Peter, James, John. What was it like being with Jesus when he healed people? What were their faces like? What was the faces like on all of you when you saw him do things? What did you talk about when you were together? Oh, for those who think heaven's going to be boring, consider this city. Consider the the size of it. Consider the people in it. All the stories, the conversations. Consider that we will dwell with God and we will worship Him. No more sun or moon, it says, for the glory of the Lord is more than the light of all heaven. No temple or church building to gather and to worship because we will all be with God worshiping Him. Look at verse 24. Let's skip down to 24. The nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. 
nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And it goes into chapter 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you've heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angels to tell his servants this will happen soon. The new heavens, new earth is going to be the most incredible homecoming ever. Are you ready? Are you ready, church? Listen, homecoming festivities, as I said at the beginning of the sermon, are an enjoyable time, aren't they? They're enjoyable. Like I said, the students dress up, they decorate, they have competition with their class, they have a royal court, they have food, they have a dance. It's festive, it's exciting, it's fun, there's happiness. But let me share something with you. Quite honestly, it's not fun for everyone. It's not. There are those who don't go because they care not. There are those who don't go because nobody invited them. And there are those who are going to attend, but they're so stressed out by all the details of what's going on, they can't even enjoy the moment because the pressure and the stress of everything they have to do for the moment. And not everybody plays nice. Oh, boy. There's jealousy. There's judging one another based on what you're wearing. Oh, look what she's wearing. Oh, look what he's wearing. Yeah. Who are you going with? Oh, you're going with him? So much jealousy, so much judging. In other words... What should be a celebration is nothing but drama. Church, the homecoming of heaven, no drama. Amen? We will not have that kind of drama. In light of what's coming, you look at this and say, the homecoming we experience now can be fun. It can be. It can be enjoyable. But I just want to tell you, it's nothing compared to what's coming. And we can spend a lot of energy on something momentary, and that's okay. Enjoy it, please. Enjoy the festivities of life. But understand, what's coming is going to be incredible. And for the kid that didn't get invited to homecoming, let's make sure that doesn't happen with heaven's homecoming. Let's get out there and invite people. Everybody's invited, but we got to be the ones that are doing the inviting, right? I encourage us today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I encourage us today to make every effort to live out our remaining time here on earth, doing what, what Peter said. Now, what did Peter say? Let me read this last verse before I pray and before we sing. Second Peter 3, 13 to 14 says this. I love this because this tells me, some studying this, that Peter must have had a conversation with Jesus about the new heaven and new earth. They must have had a conversation about heaven. Because Peter writes as he goes, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, 
while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives, pure and blameless in his sight. Peter's like, the ultimate homecoming is going to happen. There's anticipation, there's excitement, just like as the high schoolers get, they can't wait for homecoming, there's a lot of buildup, there's a lot of buildup. Our buildup is happening right now. And Peter says, while we're looking forward to this, we're eagerly awaiting it, let's live pure and blameless lives. Let's live in a way that, that honors God. Let's invite people to be a part of it. Let's do that. Let's do that. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. We thank you, Lord, for the glimpse of the new heaven and new earth and, 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 and what it's going to be like. And again, I think John was so amazed that a couple of times you had to stop and say, hey, write this down. Because what I'm saying is trustworthy and true. God, thank you for what we've seen. God, as a Christian, I'm excited. You know, that homecoming, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to blow away everything around here. But God, I'm afraid there's a lot of people that don't know about it yet. They haven't been invited. And God, I believe that's our job to invite people to be a part of this homecoming, to let them know that there is a God who loves us. And we, are, we have messed up in our life. We've, we've sinned. But God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take care of that sin. All we have to do is believe that. Confess that we've messed up and ask for forgiveness. And you'll forgive us. And not only ask you to save us, but to be our Lord, to help us live every day. God, we, we pray that. We seek your forgiveness. We ask you to come into our life. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us in this fight temptation to make the right decisions. Help us, Lord. And God, for those of us who are Christians, give us a new joy today of a homecoming that's out of this world. Give us some peace when we see things unfolding around us that may be a little drama-filled. Help us remember it won't be this way forever. It won't be this way forever because what's coming is going to be incredible. God, we want to sing to you now because you are great. You deserve all of our praise today. So we sing to you, Lord. We love you. In thy name we pray. Amen.